Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting edge. Oh eight two nine nine one three nine one three. That's where you get drive time. A deepening economic crisis coupled with a significant destruction of infrastructure over a decade of conflict by the Syrian government and its allies has led to severe wheat shortages, Human Rights Watch has reported. We now chat to Letta Taylor, Associate Director, Terrorism, Counterterrorism, uh, Lead uh, Crisis and Conflict Division at Human Rights Watch. Letta, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. And it's an honor to chat to you as well. And of course, this is something that has been uh, coming on for some time, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, you know, when we follow the Syrian story, we always hear that uh, many people in Syria are challenged in terms of um, food. 12.4 million Syrians out of 16 million food insecure as we talk right now. Yes, indeed. Um, but I actually, <laughs> I thought I was speaking to you about our other Syria report today. Uh, so um, you've caught me a bit off guard here, actually. I will say that um, I, I can speak to you briefly about the bread crisis, though. And, and, and what I can tell you is this, that... Um, Syrian officials repeatedly say that they care about people's uh, ability to eat and that they are trying very hard to ensure everyone has enough bread. But its actions show otherwise. We're actually seeing uh, quite a, a discriminatory distribution of bread alongside corruptions and, and restrictions on how much subsidized bread people can buy uh and and this is leading to people going hungry and as you know this is this is just one piece of the puzzle of the syrian crisis where we have um people with uh, suffering terribly dying unnecessarily in amid the tragedy of this war but on top of everything else it's uh they, they can't even get the most basic supply and i keep thinking of of the line from Marie Antoinette, um, let them eat cake. Is this what the Assad regime is saying to its people? Yeah, and it certainly um, is probably not resounding very happily amongst uh, the people of, of Syria. So how do we understand the status quo right now for those people who are left in, in Syria right now? Infrastructure has been absolutely hammered. Uh, not many reports coming out of Syria anymore at all. So what on earth is going on? Well, yeah, I mean, it's extremely difficult. And, and part of the problem is that, um, uh, the you know, even the aid groups are struggling uh, to get access to all areas of the countries that, that they need to reach. Uh, and, and this is very much because of the politics of the, of the Assad uh, government. Um, it's, it's extremely difficult uh, for even for humanitarians who, who would really like to be doing more uh, to get into Syria. So it's, um, it's, extremely, it's an extremely dire situation. 
I mean, uh, I think a lot of people have been using the word not crisis for Syria in terms of human humanitarian issues and, and human rights, but catastrophe. Um, mm-hmm. would, would you agree with that, uh, that, that perception? I mean, the country, I, I can't keep on saying how gutted the whole country is. Yes, absolutely. We are facing uh, we are facing a catastrophe. We have a catastrophe, a humanitarian ca- catastrophe, uh, on the world's hands uh, in Syria. And um, this is while very very much uh, there is there is a lot that that the Assad government itself ought to be doing. Of course, the primary responsibility uh, relies there, but. Um, that uh, we, we have to understand also that there's, you know, politics at, at, at the international level that are playing into this. Um, and, and, for example, uh, Russia has uh, pr- repeatedly uh, blocked action at the U.N. Security Council through its veto authority. Uh, it's both vetoed and threatened to veto um, uh, the, uh, a, a measure that would require uh, opening of uh, borders. In, in the north of Syria to get more basic food supplies uh, and other vital aid uh, distributed. So I really think that, you know, we have to look, uh, we have to look both at what's happening, uh, what, what the Assad government is doing, but also what some of its allies are doing on its behalf. China as well has played a role here at the Security Council level. So um, the, you know, the, the government also should, of course, be putting a stop to abuses by security services, including their discriminatory interference in bread and flour distribution. Uh, Russia, as an ally to Syria, could be providing Syria with wheat, uh, and and certainly Russia is jointly responsible for for military operations that have contributed to the ongoing crisis. Now, I mean, there's just so many crises uh, under the umbrella uh, of of the catastrophe. Um, I mean, there's so many questions to ask. I mean, Syria at one stage was the home of of ISIS, who had been pushed out of Iraq, um, mm-hmm. and and there's just a silence now. I mean. Uh, what do we do there? Because there must be so much fallout in terms of um, refugees and and uh, hurt and injured people, just in terms of that part of the whole uh, Syrian uh, conflict. Yes, indeed. I mean, people, Syrian Syrians are suffering. Thousands and thousands remain missing, unaccounted for. Some may still be in the hands of armed groups, including, uh, but not not uh, not exclusively ISIS. Others, of course, are in the in 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 the notorious Syrian prisons, uh, where uh, one is very very lucky to come out alive. Um, so and and so yes, absolutely. The suffering, uh, the suffering, the human suffering is is really boggles the mind. I would like to uh, shed a little bit of light on one corner of, uh, of, of Syria where there is very acute suffering that I've recently documented, and that is in the, the camps and prisons holding more than 43,000 foreigners, men, women, but primarily children uh, from 60 countries. And these, these men, women, and children are held as ISIS suspects and family members. They were rounded up after the fall of Baghouz, the last uh, uh, stand of the so-called ISIS caliphate, uh, exactly two years ago this week. Um, and, and, and three years in now, two years later, uh, these, 
These men, women, and children are entering their third year of unlawful detention, life in life-threatening conditions in northeast Syria. Uh, they're held by a, a regional authority there, a Kurdish-led coalition that is separate from, uh, from the uh, Saad government. But they're being held with a tacit or explicit approval of their home countries. And South Africa is one of these countries. So I would very much like to shed a little light on that. Um, my understanding is that there are... 30 South Africans there, including about 20 children. And we'd really like to see South Africa bring bring its citizens home. I mean, surely South Africa is capable of bringing home a busload of its citizens. Um, the U.S.-led coalition against ISIS stands ready to help countries bring their citizens home. And uh, we'd, we'd, some, if some of these adults are guilty of crimes, they could, be, they could stand trial at home in South Africa because none has been, none has been brought before a court, we have innocent children who are being collectively punished for any crimes their parents may have committed. We have women who may be victims, too, who were brought over, um, who may have been, some, of course, went on their own, but others may have been lured uh, lured into going by ISIS or brought over by their husbands and not really understanding what we we're getting into. So we, we'd like to make a call on the, the South African government to do something about these citizens. I'm glad you're doing this because, to be honest with you, um, I, as a journalist, was not aware of this, and we have been trying to cover this as closely as possible. We we have been aware, and these things are, are pretty secretive of um, a number of South Africans um, somehow getting extricated from Syria and Iraq and being repatriated back in South Africa with no criminal charges because the government here has, has seems to have had a policy of um, allowing the people to be rehabilitated back in their communities, which I think is a lot wiser mm-hmm. um, than throwing people into law courts which are, are just going to further destroy the lives, I think, of, of many innocent people because children are innocent. Children did not choose to go to Syria or Iraq or, or whatever. So, um, 30 exactly. South Af- yeah, so 30 South Africans, including 20 children. So the message is out there. Durko, if you're listening, um, people are still there in Syria. And um, I'm pretty sure um, our news team will elevate the story to a headline and hopefully somebody can respond to that um what other as you say other countries have they just abandoned these people because this seems to be the case um this is a human rights abuse in a sense isn't it that a lot of these people are thrown into this limbo and they're not allowed to go home they're not allowed to say they're sorry or innocent people in particular the children become absolute nobodies living in a nowhere land Exactly. Many of these children were born in, in Syria. And again, they did not choose to be born under ISIS. They did, or if they were already born in South Africa, they did not choose to be dragged to, to live under ISIS by their parents. These are innocent children who are suffering for the decisions of their parents. And many of the parents who made decisions may regret those decisions and may, uh, may actually be able to return to their home communities and be offered some rehabilitation and treated as victims, uh, which many of the adults, in addition to the children, may well be. Now, I'm not, I don't, I'm not in a position to say there may not be war criminals among the South Africans who went over, but if there are, they should be brought before a court and judge. 
judge for those who really have committed serious crimes. Um, they ought to be brought before a court because that is what that's what their victims are entitled to. For countries to allow their own citizens to languish in prisons uh, in a war zone in northeast Syria in, in squalid conditions, rather than bring them before a court to find out if they're innocent or guilty or find ways to re- bring them back home so that they can try to live a normal life and bring their their children up in a normal way. I mean, this to me is unconscionable. I think that uh, all it's an insult to victims of ISIS around the world as well, because the guilty are not being judged and the innocent uh, are being punished. This is, you know, this is a... This is a, a big step down for human rights around the world. If, if countries countenance this, this, uh, this kind of treatment, um, even suspects of heinous crimes have the right to be brought before a court to contest their conditions of detention. And even the children are not being allowed this right. So, yes, we'd love to see South Africa be a leader and, and, and do something about their citizens uh, who are being held. I just wrote a report about this this week. You can find it on www.hrw.org. And uh, so if anyone wants to take a look at it, um, I urge you to because it's a very serious issue. And, you know, you mentioned, Shafiq, that this, is, um, this seems to be a bit of a secret. Well, one reason, uh, my understanding at least, is that some of the families who have who have citizens trapped over in, in Syria have, been, have agreed to gag orders with the government and i guess i can say this they certainly wouldn't be able to because they're not allowed to speak to me um but so here we have a situation where families cannot voice the fact that that some of the people held over there are children or others who are victims who are suffering and even those who may have committed a crime they really do have a right to go before a court so i can't emphasize enough that Two years have passed. Governments that are sitting on their hands and looking the other way here risk being complicit in unlawful detention of their citizens because the rights of the, the rights governments have a duty toward their citizens that in some extreme cases even extend to citizens overseas. That is certainly the case with these children and it's the case with many of the adults because South Africa has the ability to change the fate of its citizens, even if they are being held elsewhere. They can do that by telling the Northeast Syrian authorities, we want to bring these people home and we'll take care of them. We'll, we'll judge them if they need to be judged in a court, but otherwise we'll rehabilitate them. The Kurds, the Kurdish-led coalition has been begging countries to bring their citizens home. So we very much hope South Africa will listen and do the right thing here. Repatriation, rehabilitation, reintegration, and if appropriate, prosecution. Absolute, no one wants yes. to see war criminals go free. No, absolutely. I mean, constitutionally, the country is equipped to deal with this legally. There are laws that cover um, people going overseas as so-called mercenaries. There's a specific law that applies to um, these people if they went and if they did fight uh, on their return mm-hmm. to, to South Africa. As a matter of interest, Letta, have, do you have any names of the South Africans that might help us in South Africa to <laughs> elevate or you just don't have the names? <laughs> 
I do not, but I'd be happy to work, uh, uh, make this pledge to you on air. I'd be happy to work with you to try to find some of that information and get it to you. So I am uh, I, I stand ready to assist you and your team uh, with any information I could provide to help you bring this story to light, because I think it's a really important one. I've seen very little media coverage about this in South Africa, but I did come across one piece, and I was rather shocked at the terminology that was used. It referred to uh, the widows in South Africa of, of, of the men who went over to join ISIS and the, the women went with them or married over there. They referred to them as black widows. Uh, which to me is, I mean, this is, we don't know if these women were also victims of ISIS. Many of them may have been imprisoned, raped, um, forced into marriages, um, beaten. They're now suffering in detention. I don't want to say that these women are necessarily angels, but we don't know enough about them. And to, and to sensationalize them as so-called black widows, uh, I really think it dehumanizes these these women and their children uh in a way that um well i i think i think we can do better as a society yeah i mean what a horrible act what a horrible um adjective black widow um it just doesn't do it it sounds a little racist to me actually yeah um among other things i mean i do know that this is a term but uh, but uh, yeah, I think for a variety of reasons, it really um, I found myself shaking my head quite a bit as I read this and thinking, surely we can do better. Indeed, I mean I think the South African government needs to do better because they have repatriated people or helped to repatriate people in um, you know in Syria. It has happened. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. a journalist that was um, held by, um, I think it was Jabhata Nusra, one of the other groups, was actually um, released. So it's not a question of uh, cannot or cannot not be done. It can be done, but obviously um, you and I know that we have to go through all the, all the protocols, the diplomatic hoops, but somebody's got to start jumping through those hoops. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it is tricky, but the business of government is tricky. This is not... Uh, public officials were not elected to only take the easy route. There are some tough decisions that sometimes need to be made. And I think that um, it's interesting. My understanding is that the South African government has very good relations with Russia. I may, correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm not an expert on South Africa, but the little I know suggests that. And um, uh, one contract I was speaking with in South Africa mentioned that um, perhaps the fact that that South Africa has has good relations with uh, with the with Russia might be one reason that it would fear negotiating with a non-state actor the the you know the the the, the self-declared autonomous uh, government of uh, in in northeast uh, Syria to, which is holding these 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 South Africans uh, and other foreigners. But in fact, Russia has been a leader in repatriating its citizens from northeast Syria. Uh, And many countries that have very close relationship with Russia, such as Kazakhstan uh, and Uzbekistan, have also done so. So if this is the issue, I I don't think that South Africa need to be concerned there. And really, we're talking about a busload of citizens here. Surely South Africa is big enough to absorb, uh, absorb this population and manage it. 
safely. Well, it's been done before <coughs> with <coughs> groups of the same number from the same region, so it can't be impossible. So later, let's hope that something good does happen and that we can at least get the names of some of these people. You know, I always find if you get a name and, and becomes a human thing, it's a lot easier to deal with the cause. Absolutely. Letta Taylor, Associate Director, Human Rights Watch, uh, thanks for joining us and let's hope at least uh, that the 30 South Africans can return home from Syria. But it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, Shafiq. A pleasure and an honor for me to be on your show. Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting